0: Good morning, friends, and as we said, we are in Romans chapter 8, and I echo her enthusiasm about Romans chapter 8, because if you ever want to know what the full power of the gospel message of Jesus Christ is in all its many facets, it is summarized so nicely in the breadth of Romans chapter 8, and it starts out with a really, really cool uh, confirmation of our faith in Jesus and what that brings us. So as we get into this and and start with prayer in a minute, I'd invite you to pull your phone or your old-fashioned Bible and take a look at Romans chapter 8 with me. By the way, whenever we do any kind of teaching or sharing or reading here, you're going to hear different versions of the Bible read. And that's good for us because not a single one of us in this room is a scholar of the Greek language. For us, it's important to be able to see the scriptures from different perspectives and different points of view. And for us, that's different versions of the Bible. So you're going to hear the amplified version read one week. You're going to hear the New Living Translation read, the New International Version, the New International Reader's Version, which by the way is written for six to ten year olds. You're going to hear different kinds of translations giving us different perspectives on the same scripture. So I invite you to pull that out and take a look with me. Why don't we go ahead and start with prayer, and then we're going to dive into the very beginning of Romans chapter 8. Would you join me and pray with me now? Uh, Jesus, thank you so much for revealing yourself to us, your people. Thank you for being a God who is not far off, but who is close. One who reveals himself in the Word, where we can go and we can experience as much of God as we can handle in this life, in this flesh, through your Word. And one day, you will reveal the rest of yourself to us, which will be mind-blowing and amazing and overwhelming, overwhelmingly amazing and great. So for this life, you've given us your word, and we dwell in it, God, because we find life and peace and hope in your word. Come and speak now through the power of this very succinct way to put the gospel of Jesus Christ in Romans chapter 8. We thank you for it. We thank you for the teaching it brings. In your name we pray, and together we say, Amen. Amen. All right, you guys, and you know it's been our habit as we've kind of worked our way through the book, it's been our habit to focus on a few verses at a time and kind of unpack those verses or explode them out so that we can step back away from it and explore some key concepts for our learning. And what I've chosen for this week is literally just the first part of the chapter. When we deal with three specific concepts in verses one through four of Romans chapter eight, I think you're going to see a lot in here that you can walk away with and will change your life if you allow it to be applicable to your life. Those three concepts as we read through the beginning are no condemnation, weakened by the flesh, and life according to the spirit. So I'm going to read this part of the passage again and notice those three concepts are bolded But we're going to stop and take a look at each one of them individually in just a minute. Scripture says in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son, in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh anymore, but according to the spirit, the word of the Lord. Now that first concept, no condemnation. What I want you to think about this as is the Apostle Paul putting the cherry on the icing on the cake the cake is Romans chapter 6 and 7 and if you remember Romans chapter 6 and 7 from the last couple of weeks what was Paul doing he was relaying to us his struggle with sin the things I do I do not want to do the things I don't want to do those are the things that I do And he talks about kind of wavering back and forth and relying upon Jesus to save him from this life of flesh, going back and forth between things he doesn't need to do and doesn't want to do and struggles with. And that's you and me. Every single day we have challenges, we have temptations, don't we? the Apostle Paul was no different. In fact, I love the fact that the Apostle Paul shared that in Romans 6 and 7 because it encourages me as a regular human being knowing that somebody who wrote a great deal of the New Testament struggles or struggled with that kind of thing too. Then he gets to Romans chapter 8 and he says, because of all that, therefore, And you have to ask the question when you see the word therefore in the English, what is it therefore, right? You have to ask the question, what is it therefore? Because he's saying, even with the struggle with sin and my flesh and the world and even the temptation of Satan, there is now no condemnation. There is no condemnation. So when you and I are tempted to believe that there's a little bit of condemnation left, or maybe there's a lot of condemnation left, and maybe it really didn't say that in the scripture, that we need to pull our scriptures out and go to Romans chapter 8 and read these words to ourselves again. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. That means the condemnation that we faced before God for our sin is gone. It is as removed as far as the east is from the west. Think of it this way. Uh, This is a young man named Nevis. His last name is Coleman. He's a Chicagoan. And if you follow the news at all, this guy was just recently rehired by the Chicago White Sox on his grounds crew. On their grounds crew. And the reason he was rehired is because he was wrongly convicted of a crime more than 20 years ago. A young woman was murdered and some terrible things were done to her before she was murdered. He actually was one of the people who showed up and discovered her body. This was back in the 90s. But he was arrested, he was convicted after a trial, and he was sentenced to life in prison. Recent DNA evidence, however, cleared him. This was him 20 years ago and he was just recently, before he was hired back by the White Sox organization, issued a certificate of innocence. He was issued a certificate that said nobody can ever come back and try him again for this crime. The DNA evidence uh, showed that someone else committed the crime, so he was freed. And then when he rejoined the White Sox organization as a ground crew member, he had done so after serving 23 years in prison for a crime he did not commit now the difference between us and Nevis is that we stand guilty before God and this was the crux of Romans chapter 6 and 7 he was innocent and was tried and convicted for a crime he didn't commit but for you and me we stand before God triable and convictable for sin and yet because of Jesus Jesus is the one who is tried and was convicted and was sentenced in our stead in our place and so when God says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus what he's saying to us is we have a certificate of innocence we have a certifiable state of innocence before God that can never be in question because of what Jesus did on the cross and because of what Jesus did after the cross. Now the reason we know, we've been talking about this for weeks and weeks as we've been working through Romans, but what we want to look at today is the idea of how we react to the law of God and what that means for us and why we needed a savior to come and why we needed a certificate of innocence. And this is something that you can share with anyone because it is universally true. The scripture says, for what the law of Moses was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son. Now think of it this way. When Jesus teaches the idea that he fulfills the law he doesn't teach the idea that he abolishes the law he teaches the idea that he fulfills it what that means is is that all the righteous requirements of the law the scripture said were met by Jesus and what that did is it changed the foundation of your life and mine you see if you try to please God by meeting the righteous requirements of the law and earning his favor, what you're trying to do is build the house of your life on a foundation that is made of sinking sand. The house of your life is gonna teeter and totter and it's gonna fall down if you try to please God by meeting the righteous requirements of the law. The scripture says that a person who lives according to the flesh cannot please God. So it's like going and telling someone who doesn't have a relationship with God, if you'll just do this and this and this, then you can be a Christian. That includes doing religious stuff. If we place requirements on someone to do this, this, or this before he or she can become a follower of Jesus, then we are not showing them the truth. We're showing them instead a law that they were never going to keep. They were never going to meet those requirements. The Bible literally says that you and I cannot do it. And so expecting people outside of the faith in Jesus to practice Christianity on their own power is futile and backwards. The full and truest measure of the gospel is the bad news that we cannot meet the righteous requirements of the law that seems really terrible to say to somebody but it's also the best news ever as we've been saying in past weeks the reason we don't try to meet the righteous requirements of the law on our own power is because we're trying to build a house on sinking sand here's how that works in the scripture Jesus says therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. In other words, when we trust in Jesus, when we place our faith in Jesus rather than in ourselves to meet the righteous requirements of the law or to please God on our own power, then it's like the house of our life is being built on a rock, on a firm foundation. And the rest of the scripture from Jesus' mouth says this, the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Have you ever felt like your life was being beat up by a strong storm? Caleb wakes me up every single time there's a storm in the middle of the night. Every time there's a clap of thunder, he's up out of that bed and coming into the bedroom. Daddy? Every time. And for his little six-year-old life, that storm is a big deal. For you and me, not so much a big deal. Our storms are different Our storms are the illnesses and the deaths of people that we love, the loss of work that we like and that provides for our family, a loss of purpose and a dive into depression and despair, a loss of meaning, a loss of relationship, the difficulties of life that come against us. That's what we deal with as grown-ups. Those are our storms. But the same ideal holds true. If we trust in the word of Jesus, and follow him, and do what he says, and trail along behind him as a disciple, making disciples, then the house of our life is gonna be built on a firm foundation. Scripture says, yet those storms did not fall, because, or the house did not fall in the storm, because it had its foundation on the rock. Likewise, Jesus says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, It's like a foolish man who built his house on what? On sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell how? With a great crash. Have you ever felt like your life was getting ready to fall with a great crash? Now before Jesus was in my life, my my life would fall with a great crash. And I would experience despair because of that. After Jesus, began to lead me and saved me and moved my soul to faith now when I experience tough times there's a basis of hope there's an understanding along everything uh, I experience on the bottom end of that that says you will not fall, you will not fail you will not uh, you will not be purposeless and meaningless, this will have meaning in your life And the one who gives me that message of hope, that basis of hope, is the same firm foundation that we know Jesus Christ to be. Jesus is the one who establishes that baseline in life. So, when we find that, we cannot follow the law. It's because we are sinful creatures. It's because we are thinking of ourselves as we come into the world. And Jesus is the one who says... Trust in me and follow me and the foundation of your life will be shored up. It will be as if the house of your life will be built on rock and not on sinking sand. That is why Jesus is called the Lamb of God. Did you ever think about Jesus as the sacrifice that was made for you and me? The Lamb of God is a precious a flawless creature. He has no blemishes on him. In ancient Israel, they had to find a lamb that did not have a spot on him. So if they had a pet lamb that had a spot on him, maybe his name was Spot, he couldn't be a sacrifice for their sins. The lamb had to be flawless, with no blemishes. Jesus is sinless. His power is in the Spirit of God. He has no sin. He was sacrificed for you and me as the Lamb of God. And this is the power of the cross. Jesus' life was substituted for your life and for mine. So trying to follow the law to please God is pointless. It is meaningless. In fact, the writer of the Ecclesiastes might even say it's chasing after the wind. Because we all are in need of a sacrifice in need of a substitute this is the message of the cross peter says for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors a life where they were trying to please god on their own power it is not a sacrifice of money or silver or gold It is not how much you go to church, read your Bible, give your tithe, contribute to a campaign, speak the right words, pray the right things, hold the right number of small groups, meet the right number of people, grow to a certain size that saves you. It is only and ever Jesus and simply, utterly Jesus, the sacrifice for our sins, and freeing us up from trying to meet God's righteous requirement on our own power gives us the ability to have small group, to read the scripture, to pray openly to God, to care for each other, and to see growth in our fellowship. Look at what the rest of Peter says here. He says that you were saved with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He calls Jesus what he is, and it is only seeing that, it is only seeing that sacrifice of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice of a flawless, blemishless lamb, that we find purpose and meaning the power, and then the house of our life has a firm foundation under it and cannot be shaken. The scripture says that God so condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Now guys, does it say partially met? It does not. Does it say fully met in us when we think it's fully met in us? No. It says that the righteous requirement of the law was fully met. <coughs> Period the word of God has declared it to be so. And he calls us out and says, those of us who are saved do not live according to the flesh anymore and what it wants, but according to what? According to the spirit. Now let me ask you a question. When the scripture capitalizes the word spirit, which spirit is it talking about? Is it talking about your spirit and mine? Or is it talking about God's? God's spirit. So whenever you see spirit capitalized, their son and Holy Spirit, right? The spirit we have been given is God's spirit. So on the cross, my spirit was exchanged for the spirit of God. On the cross, my body was spiritually exchanged for the body of God named Jesus. On the cross, my sin was placed in someone else's body So that in my physical body, someone else's spirit might reign. And whose spirit is that? It's God's spirit. So you literally have a temple of the Holy Spirit that you carry around in your body. Now when you get up in the morning, and if you're a guy, you're shaving your face, or if you're a lady, you're putting on your makeup, do you see a temple of God's Holy Spirit in the mirror? Is that what you see? I see a couple of scrunched up faces like, no. I don't see that at all. I see a work in progress. I see somebody who needs help. Somebody who needs to be fixed up and cleaned up before he or she can face the world. You need to look at the person in the mirror as the one whom God has saved with the ultimate sacrifice. You need to see yourself as a walking temple, a tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. Because friend, that is what you are. Whether you know it or not, whether you realize it or not, whether you act like it or not, you are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. He works in you. He speaks through you. He acts in you. And he dwells there because of Jesus. You are all that and a bag of chips. The scripture says this. We do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The idea is like this. If you go back a couple of decades, about the same time that Nevis was perhaps arrested for his crimes, There was a new wave of popular jewelry coming out that had WWJD on it, you remember those days? Sometimes people still even wear them. What does WWJD stand for? What would Jesus do? Now in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that idea and it kind of even makes a cool accessory, WWJD. Even people who don't respect God or follow his son know what WWJD is. And in fact, over the last couple of decades, many a joke has been made, as people have changed the verbiage that goes with WWJD to different interesting and humorous things, right? But the idea becomes this, it's more than just what would Jesus do. The idea is this, the Spirit of God asks the question, what would Jesus think? What would he feel? And how would he act? And what would he say? The Spirit of God literally leads us into the question, how would Jesus live beyond even how he would act or what he would do? We are called to the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ is what produces the word of Christ out of our mouths. And it produces the actions of Christ out of our bodies. When we talk about being the hands and feet of Jesus, There's more than just mimicking Jesus with what we do with ourselves. There's mimicking Jesus by how we think, what we feel in our hearts, what we speak out into our lives. All of those aspects of life are important because what they do is call us into a new level of trust. We begin to trust Jesus with what we think and how we feel and what we speak and what we do. So what would Jesus do is on steroids here. This is where what would Jesus do becomes how would Jesus live. And for you and me, we are a thousand percent free to spend the rest of our earthly lives exploring how Jesus lives. Why? Because of Romans chapter eight and verse one there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For us, it very simply looks like this. It's like going to the pool and having your four-year-old jump into your arms without floaties on for the first time. What does that require? It requires trust, doesn't it? And if you've ever had that experience before, you know that that is the rawest and most simple, most simplest version of trust you can find. Because if you don't catch that kid when he jumps or she jumps into your arms the first time, what's going to happen? Total chaos, right? Kid's going to sink into the water. But you know, God says to you and me, I will never fail to catch you. And the trust that you and I have is more than just for the first time. The trust you and I have builds and grows. It is progressive. God calls us into little tiny acts of trust. When we trust him with our thoughts the first time, when we trust him with what we speak for the first time, and risk looking foolish to our friends or coworkers, our neighbors, when we trust him with what we do in his name for the first time and risk the same foolishness, God says, I will not leave you, nor will I forsake you. Which means in that moment when you trust me, I will be there. That is what it means to live as a temple of the Holy Spirit. That is what it means to live according to the Spirit and not according to the, Little bite-sized moments of trust that build into bigger ones and bigger ones and bigger ones. So the call for us today is to jump. Jump into the arms of your God, waiting in the pool. When you jump, you're going to see water and you're going to see the deep end. But as you grow in trust, you will begin to see more the arms of a living and capable God who will catch you and who will be there with you that's the point and the reason is because there's nothing standing between you and the God who made you how much condemnation is left none that means you have 100% access to the God who walks with you and who fights for you. So would you pray with me and let this word encourage you. This is the God who will be with you, who will always catch you, who will dwell in you. Just like the scripture says, we cry out to Father God as Abba. You know what that means in the original language? It means daddy just like daddy's in the pool getting ready to catch us. That's how close and intimate God wants this temple of the Holy Spirit to be in you. So be encouraged as to who you are. You are a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And as you trust God more and more through his power and his might, and as your trust grows, Your life is going to be an amazing construction in the kingdom of God. Would you pray with me? Dear God, thank you so much. Again, as we say every week, thank you so much for being so powerful, for being so strong, for being so mighty. Thank you for being the one whose arms never failed to catch me, whose words never failed to feed me in my mind and in my heart. God, I confess to you that there are times when I despair of you and I turn away from you and I try to meet the righteous requirements of life's law and I fail. But that's good news because you've reminded me that Jesus has met those righteous requirements and there is therefore now no condemnation for me, but life and liberation and freedom, and full Holy Spirit power. So I love you, God, and I thank you for that reason. I ask that you come now and you dwell. You will be with me from this moment forward, forever and ever, amen and amen.